I'm going to start with a nice word on Parshas Vayichi. Um, the word is from the Maya Shiloyach, from the Ishbitzah. He brings on the Pusik after Yaakovini was nifter and his children took him to bury him in Eretz Canaan. Um, they came back, So the Pusik says that the brothers were afraid, least the Maini Yosef, maybe he's going to do something to us. Why was that? Because they saw, Rashi explains, he wasn't inviting them anymore to come eat with him. So the Madrash says, um, that Yosef Tzadik's kavuna, his intention was l'shem shemayim. He had he had, a, he had good intentions by not inviting them over. Why? Because in the past, um, Yankov Vivini would put me before Yehida, who's the king, put me before uh, Riven, who's the oldest. And and now I'm not sure anymore what to do. You know, if my father's not there and I'm going to be sitting at the head of the table, maybe it's not going to be the right way. Maybe they should be sitting first and things like that. Yosef Tzadik wasn't sure how to how to do the seating arrangements. So he figured the easiest thing to do is to just avoid the whole thing. We won't eat together. There won't be any problem. Like this, there won't be any heartache, any, any hurt feelings, and everyone's going to be just fine. In the meantime, the brothers misinterpreted his intentions. They thought that he wasn't inviting them over because he didn't want to uh, be at, be, live, live with them and be at peace with them. And, and that's where the whole mistake came about. And he says something interesting, the whole Gulas Mitzrayim, the whole Gulas of B'nai Yisrael, only was able to happen because there was Pirid Levovus. As long as the Shiftei Ka were all getting along, which was as long as Yaakov Vivini was around, you know, and, and Yaakov, their father, was taking care of all the arrangements and making sure that everyone felt that they had the right seat at the table and nobody was feeling slighted by that. So it wasn't possible for them to be in Gulas Mitzrayim. They were on their own. They were okay. There was no Shibbat. There was no Parai. There was no problem. But once, this, um, once there was a lack of Ahava, there was a sin going on, that's when, you know, Kali Yisrael fell into that problem of Gulas Mitzrayim. And he says it wasn't just the brothers that misinterpreted and, and caused hatred. It was also Yosef Tzadik, who seemingly wasn't careful enough to make sure that his intentions would be obvious and that his actions wouldn't be misinterpreted. And he ends off with something very interesting. He says, that's why a person should always be mispal, always daven to Hashem, that he should never be done lekaf choiv someone else. He should never misinterpret someone else's intentions. And nobody should ever misinterpret his intentions. It's so easy for people to make this mistake on both ends, and a person should constantly be mispal to Hashem that he sees the best in other people, other people see the best in him. And when that doesn't happen, it's hard to say who's at fault. The person who caused it, the person who did it, and things like that. And this is just a very typical, but such an important lesson when it comes to any relationships, to always know how to see the other person in the right light, and not misinterpret what someone else is doing. It's so easy to misinterpret, it's so easy to decide that somebody did something wrong to you, it's so easy to decide that somebody had bad intentions with what they did, uh, especially when something was hurtful and, and, and damaging or, or painful, um, but to see the good in it, it's not easy, but that's what we're supposed to do. And it's so easy to do something that could be misinterpreted as well. And I think what it boils down to is what I keep on mentioning, it's all about you. It's not about the other person. You should see the other person in a good light, and you should do whatever you could to the other person see you in a good light. It's not, it's not enough to say, well, I'll see you in a good light, but you have to see me as well. Or I'll take care of my actions and make sure I'm not, not misinterpreted, but you have to take care of yours. That would be fear, right? But relationships are not about fear, and Benudin Lechavayru is not about fear. And, uh, you know, avoiding any kind of period levovis and, and, and building achdes and ahav and shulam is not about fear. It's about what could I do on both ends of, of, the, of the equation, both ends of the relationship. And that's something that you know, we have to keep on hearing and being reminded because it's a lot easier said than done and still needs to be done. So with that, let me read a rather long letter again. I'm obviously going to leave out some details, but um, let's try to give some perspective. Okay, dear Begruen, I really appreciate your input as secular advice tells me right off 
to cut and run, since this relationship often makes me cry or doubt myself, the automatic label that gets slapped on is toxic. But I appreciate and I listen to your lectures as they are not held to popular opinion, but longevity and doing the right thing, whether it feels good or not. Your lectures were hard for me to listen to at first, because since they did bruise my ego a little, but the challenge of growing and hearing an unbiased opinion to that of secularism and emotion, unbiased opinion to that of secularism and emotion, but only Torah keeps me coming back. I wrote my actual message in a different format, so I'll copy it over here. Sorry for the length. I tried to keep it short. So here's the message. Hi, I am grateful in advance if this question will get answered. I'm not exactly sure how this will come out or who to address exactly. My situation isn't unique per se. In fact, it's very basic, but there are enough non-standard details in my relationship that I don't know which category it falls into and what answer to apply. I also don't know how much or what detail is relevant, so I'll try my best. Okay, so even before I go on, obviously, similar to last week's disclaimer, everything has to do with background and... and, uh, society and upbringing and things like that. So obviously the details of the question might not be as relevant to other people, but uh, I think that the general idea of it, as the, li- as the writer is saying, is, is pretty relevant to all relationships. I haven't been seeing a man for the past several months that I love very much. I should add that we knew each other for a few years, but only started dating more recently. We both grew up in modern Orthodox homes and had similar backgrounds. His life experience is somewhat unique and creates a unique set of challenges. Even our meeting or being together is a miracle of its own, and I've seen so many of my prayers answered in him. I'm a bit older, I'm not going to go into the details obviously of age, um, and I've never been in a serious relationship prior for many different reasons. Um, He's quite a bit older than me, and has never been married before. Our relationship is clean and as sneers as can be. To try to get to the point, I want to marry him, he wants to marry me. The rabbis want us to be married. Whenever marriage comes up between us, for some reason, something goes wrong. We are both terrified. I listen and try to listen to as many shurim about relationships and love, self-improvement, the Torah way, as I can. I realize that with our backgrounds and age gap, we have our work cut out for us. I also realize that we are so well tailor-made for each other in challenges, but also our strengths. I'm trying to be honest. I realize that my love for him can blind me to reality and I don't know if I'm capable of walking away from the man that I love, the man of my dreams, if I need to. I've been checking and rechecking myself. I am as certain as I can be that my love is true, meaning that it's that of action and not infatuation or purely emotional. Because there has been quite a few sets of challenges or instances to have been delusioned. Here's my question. I don't know if he is capable of reciprocating that which I can give due to his experiences and other things. He's a very giving man and can be very kind and sincere, but he has not to deal with long-term intimate relationships. He loves and cares for me, I know, but as long as it's problem-free. When my emotional needs come up, it scares him and makes him shut down, shutting me out. In other words, when I need him most, or sometimes even when he needs me most, he disappears both emotionally and physically, leaving town, avoiding me, because he cannot handle another thing on his plate when he's already balancing so much. And it's true that he is. I say that without resentment. I'm truly proud and amazed by him and by his work, and I want nothing more than to be a helper to him and a breath of fresh air. It just so often doesn't leave any space for my flaws, and I know I cannot remain flawless as much as I try. I realize often 
after falling out, that I was really being not understanding or reasonable on my end, and he is on his end, and on his end, he doesn't know how to deal with it. And yes, in a healthy scenario, just by being there for me and hearing me, it would have brought us closer. But I cannot expect him to give what he doesn't know how, and can only work, and I can only work on my flaws. And now to my question: I know and see that I'm capable of being a loving and giving person. I'm hoping and praying that by seeking out his best and filling him with my love and creating a safe and loving space and striving to be his helpmate, he will learn to love me in a deeper way as well. Because from what I see now, he's capable only when it's convenient, but not in the more difficult times. Am I being reasonable and loving or honest with myself? Or maybe I'm just expecting too much. Maybe it's a female-male dynamic, and that's what I'm missing due to my inexperience. I've also noticed a little that men of... Okay, here's something about the age gap, um, and different things about some kind of background issues. So the question is, can love really conquer all? If so, I want to try and I'm willing to work. Or am I being naive and setting my, myself up for potential failure, heartbreak, and pain? Not just for me, but for maybe him and potential children as well, God willing. I know there's a lot of loaded statements in this email. I don't know to whom to turn for advice and take the next step. Okay, I would, consi- I would consider consultations as well, but I don't know if they're useful if I'm doing them solo. If there's any chance that... Okay, okay, okay. So... Um, like I said, I'm leaving out certain um, certain details, obviously, but in general, that's the gist of the question. Uh, somebody who's considering getting married is very attracted, um, really wants to be in a relationship, and doesn't know if it's the right thing to do. Noticing challenges and, and not knowing if it's, if it's the right thing to do or not, and turning to me on this platform for ideas. So the first thing that I want to say, obviously, is that it would be quite irresponsible for me uh, to give a yes or no piece of advice, even though I'm sure that whoever's listening to this probably already has some idea in their own mind of, yeah, go for it, don't be silly, um, don't be afraid, or don't go for it, stay away, this is no good. A lot of people might be thinking along those, along those lines, but for me to give any real advice that somebody would take seriously and make a life decision based on, I think that would be irresponsible. Um, it, would be, it would be just as irresponsible, I think, for the questioner to take my opinion too seriously in terms of making a decision if all I know about you is what you just wrote in that letter uh, with a few details that I left out. Um, now, aside from knowing people up close and knowing more about the situation, so often details are really so important. Uh, without going into many examples, I've, I've seen many situations where people got guidance, real guidance, Toyota guidance, balanced, logical uh, guidance, but they left out certain details in the question, and it just made it, it made the guidance obviously uh, be a, a little off, a little off, you know, not, not uh, tailor-made. You know? If, for example, you tell me that Nobody else ever wanted to marry you yet, and you already tried about 650 people, and there's the only person that ever wanted to marry you, that might change the, the direction of the question. If you tell me that you have another three people who are running after you, for that matter, and they're all much simpler and easier to deal with, and for some reason you're still stuck on this one person who uh, seems to be not so easy to deal with, that would also change the, you know, the, the, the question. And as, as well as age and background and other things, you know, if you tell me that you have three feet, for example, then obviously it would also change uh, the answer to the question. The point is just that it would be irresponsible for me to give an answer, and it's important to make sure that whoever does give you a real answer, if somebody does, knows as many details as really come into account that need to be taken seriously. Another thing that I want to say, and that's even after you get guidance, and before you get guidance, and if anything I say today will be helpful, we live in a world of uncertainty. The Tanya talks about it in a letter, um, where even when you ask a Tamil Chochman at Tzadik, 
he claims, he says over there, he makes this claim, that uh, this was never the style. People never asked Tzadikim and, and Tamid HaChomim for advice when it came to Gashmias. Now I know this is a debate in this forum, but he says something interesting. He says, when there, were nev- when there was Nevuah, Nevi'im, they were able to tell you things that we didn't know. In Gashmias, you were able to ask a Navi, is this the right thing to do? Is it the wrong thing to do? Or something that, was, that, was, that wasn't known? It was something that happened already, or something that wasn't known, or a piece of information that was missing. You asked the Navi, and he was able to use his prophecy, or whatever kind of insight he had, vision, and, and tell you the answer, and you got clarity. He got clarity. As a matter of fact, one of the ways to know that a Novi is a Novi Sheker is when something he said was proven to not be true, which means that we're expecting a Novi to always say what's true, in a general sense. When it comes to Das Torah and Atamut Chocham and Atzadik and everyone else, there's no 100% clarity. We know that. And, 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 and the point is not that somebody will tell you with certainty about any Shidduch, about anything, that it, it's, it's for sure the right thing, it's for sure going to be good. It doesn't work like that, it doesn't work like that in this world. Anyone giving these kind of answers, I'm talking about people who are eligible and people who should be giving these kind of answers, they also had situations where they answered one thing and something else happened and it didn't work out the way they, they said it would. My point is, isn't that you should doubt Das Torah or your rabbis or whoever it is that's, that's guiding you. My point is just that it's acknowledging that we live in a world of uncertainty. Nobody should ever wait until they're 100% certain about something or be looking for the person who could tell them with 100% certainty that this is the way to do it. We, 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 we do what's reasonable. We do what's reasonable, and that's, and that's the way Hashem expects us to make our decisions. So that's just another... Um, so just in case what I'm telling you today uh, makes you feel like you can be 100% certain, I'm telling you clearly that it doesn't. And if anything I'm saying today is telling you, okay, so I'm 90% certain, but I'm still waiting for more, that might not be that. So that's just something to take seriously. So let's, let's discuss this a little general so that more people who are already married uh, could also benefit from it, and people in different situations could as well. So I think the first thing that I want to talk about is the insecurities that we experience in life. Obviously, some people more than others. It's, it's quite normal. It's important to know that it's normal and feel, feel okay with it to experience um, fear and insecurity when it comes to something big. Anything big. Anything big in life. Whether it's a big purchase or it's a big move or it's a big step or it's a big something. It's, it's, always, it's normal to feel insecure and to not be 100% clear about am I doing the right thing? Especially when it comes to something that's irreversible. Um, you know, when it comes to a shidduch, it's somewhat reversible, but not without not without the damage that it brings along. It's not irreversible. Uh, you know, whatever kind of issues around family planning, as they call it, right? Having children is irreversible, and, and things like that. A lot of things that we do, and, and even just buying a house or investing a lot of money or choosing a career or taking a job, a lot of these things are big decisions, somewhat irreversible because they have repercussions and implications about the future, and it's normal to, to not feel so confident about it. Nobody should doubt themselves about why they doubt themselves. It's, it's normal. People who jump into things too quickly and too flippant and too uh, impulsive are, are often making mistakes. They should be taking it more seriously. On the other hand, obviously, some people get stuck on these things, and because they're not 100% sure, they remain indecisive and they don't make a move. And it's very sad to see people that don't make a move in life. There are never very many people who stayed stuck in certain places in life, and uh, you know sometimes it gets, it's somewhat too late later on to, to go back and say, oh, I should have made that decision, and look look where I'm holding because of it. So I'm still jobless after after 30 years because I was never able to take a job, and that's obviously just a, a simple a simple example. So everyone at any point in life who's experiencing any kind of insecurity should feel okay with it and learn how to deal with it and move on. The point is not to be stuck with insecurity. And, and the doubt and the lack of confidence. 
So often, one of the ways to do it, especially Erlich Yidin know, that you go to someone who's a Das Torah, an Erlich person, an intelligent person, somebody who's competent, and knows enough about you and the situation and the subject and the topic, you know, to give, a, to give an objective opinion. And like I said, the point isn't to, the point isn't to um, trust him blindfoldedly and know with 100% certainty that he can't make a mistake. The point is that you're not trusting yourself because you're very subjective, and you are knowing that it's hard for you to feel confident with what you're doing. And if somebody else tells you, that this is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's the right thing to do, regardless of how you feel about it. And that's very important that some people just don't know how to do it and trust it. So of course you have to do that responsibly as well. But the point is not to say, but how does he know? He doesn't, he doesn't know 100%, but you don't either. And it's okay to not know 100% and still understand that somebody who's objective has a reason to give an opinion, and, and he's credible, and that's what you try. I know somebody who, this was also it was a, a marriage issue, a shidduch issue, um, he had a, a, a limitation, let's call it, a physical limitation, um, a strong limitation, a, stro- a strong handicap, a, a big, significant handicap that was limiting the shidduchim that he was able to do very, very much. And, and actually, now, now that I'm saying it, it's coming to mind a few such situations, actually. More than, more than two. Um, he took guidance of an el and it wasn't quickly, it wasn't flippant, it wasn't in the moment, it was... After asking this one and that one and making sure and again and verifying and checking and whatever else went into it. And I'm not saying that that part wasn't responsible to make sure that it was very, very clear. And he made a move. He made a move and he got married to somebody taking into account that this was the best he could do. And it was taking into account a lot of information. And he got married. And Baruch Hashem, he had children. And he was always still doubting if he did the right thing. Always looking back and saying, maybe I shouldn't have done it. Now, aside from the fact that he already did it, so it's not good to live in that kind of uh, mindset, which I'll talk about in a moment. But again, he did, the, he did the right thing. He was insecure and unsure before he went to ask for guidance. He got the guidance. That guidance is supposed to clarify a certain amount of insecurity and uncertainty that he had. It doesn't mean that he has to feel certain and secure. It means that he has to acknowledge, I don't know, so I'm asking. And now I know, even though I don't feel that I know. But to go and find out and know and make the decision based on it and keep on sitting your whole life with that feeling of, Maybe I shouldn't have. No, you should have. As a matter of fact, even now that I'm listening to it, after he's telling me the story, I'm like, that was, that was a no-brainer. That was a no-brainer based on the, based on the, based on the variables and the, and the details. And of course, of course you, you should have gotten married. You probably would have never gotten married if you didn't, if you didn't get married to this person. So another thing that, that, that I've seen many times, aside from the doubt, is where people actually, actually um, live with the doubt. They, they implement the doubt in their life. I was talking to somebody recently who's kind of married with quite a, quite a number of children after quite a number of years. And he's telling me how there's so many things in his life that he can't do because he's not yet two feet into the marriage. I said, really? What, what does that mean? You're, married, you're almost marrying off your, your children already by now. I know. But from day one, I always felt like maybe this wasn't my bashert. And yeah, I, I didn't think I had a choice, so I went on and I had children and everything, but, but I'm still not sure. So if I'm not sure this is my bashert then how could I really invest so much in this marriage? I said, but you already invested so much already in this marriage. There's, there's so much, there's, there's, there's almost no exit plan at this point. You're leaving over a family with so little reason and, and you invested so much money and energy. I think it's good to just just give it all you got. But I think that would acknowledge that, that this is what I should have done. And I'm not sure I'm ready to acknowledge that. Now, I know it sounds ridiculous, you know, if you're not experiencing this on your own, but unfortunately a lot of people experience this. My point is just that we all suffer from a certain amount of doubt and insecurity, which is normal, so it's not called suffering. Uh, the question is what you do about it. Some people, 
um, deal with it on their own. Some people let other people help them deal with it. But however you do do it, don't live with doubt and don't live with guilt and don't regret and don't look back because this is the way to figure out what to do. So if you do reach out to someone and you do trust someone, you do it and you trust it and, and you acknowledge it, even if you'll never feel good about it, you, know, you did the right thing and you should try to believe in that. So that's, that's aside from the fact that however Hashem is guiding you and pushing you and, and letting you be guided, it's obviously all part of Hashem's master plan. So that's a, another added part of the Amunah Betochem that definitely helps us out as Elah Chiyidin. Going back into this situation over here where somebody wants to know if they should marry or not marry. Okay, we're still holding before the Shidduch, so you still have the choices, obviously, right? So as you pointed out in the first part, the introduction to your letter, um, both um, telling me about my lectures that are not uh, full of secular opinion and emotion, um, as well as telling me that secular advice is telling you a certain thing, while Torah advice might be telling you different, it's not a question, not a question, that Torah advice and perspective and focus is totally different than a secular advice and perspective and goals and, and mindsets. Not a question. It's not a question. Now, often people try to make them merge and make one big mumble-jumble out of it, and it becomes very confusing. It's not a question that the Torah advice is coming from a different perspective of what's important and what's the goal and what's the, what's the motive and, and, and what's the objective. And secular advice is coming from a whole different uh, list of, of, of standards and, and, and components and, and and details, not a question. Not a question. It's always important to remember that. As much as we, there's a lot of good ideas that we learn from psychology and advice, you have to remember that it all has to, if it fits with the Torah's advice, you're just getting good ideas about how to, how to work things out, you know, common sense, wonderful. Of course, it's coming from kosher sources, etc. But in general, it, it, it should come as no wonder that you're probably going to be getting different ideas if, you, if you're looking at two different uh, tracks. If you're talking to a goyish psychologist, I'm giving you guidance in life, or a life coach, he's pro- he should, I hope, he'll be telling you different things than, than a Das Torah, an intelligent Das Torah is guiding you. And if not, then, then that's a question, why not? It's, not, it's generally going generally to be somewhat different. Generally. And, and I want to explain it. It's not a question that, that a secular idea of a person's life, uh, it's not just the, the self-entitlement and self-pleasure uh, of eat, drink, and be merry, without any goal in life. It's not just that. There are those that have a better, a higher motive in life of, of more something more real than that. But in general, the, the Torah perspective of what you're here for in this world and why you want to get married and what's the important outcome of marriage and building a home is a different idea than, than a secular idea of that. It's not a question. And this is where so many ideas people get so... Like I said before, I mentioned family planning before. Yeah, and, and secular ideas... Uh, why would you want to have more than two, three kids if you could have better kids and a calmer life if you have less children? Why? There's no, there's no obligation to have a lot of children, right? So why would you? And a secular idea. Why not, why not make the best of it? Make the most enjoyment of it. Make the most... Uh, you can have better kids, more intelligent kids. You're, giving, you're investing more in them. As if. When it comes to Torah ideas, there's a whole different story. Part of why we get married is because Hashem wants us to get married. Part of why we get married is because Hashem wants us to have children. Part of why we have children is to be mechan of them to do what Hashem wants. Of course we want to do all that while we appreciate our children and have nachas from them and enjoy them and live a happy life. And anyone who's going to try to just make some kind of self-nullification and obliterate any, any idea of self and just do everything for a higher purpose probably won't get there because Hashem in His Torah told us that we have to uh, consider ourselves as well. But there's definitely a, a bigger picture. There's more to take into consideration. 
So it's not a question that if you have if you have doubts about a relationship and you're not sure that it's going to be good for you, so keep on dating for the rest of your life, maybe, or keep on looking for someone else, or keep on, or, or just stay single. I don't know. There's a lot of different ideas that people might say because why would you sign up for something that could cause you pain? The Torah is definitely going to encourage you in a different direction, knowing that there's a that there's a there's a, a bigger goal and a higher motive and of course the Torah wants us to enjoy ourselves the Torah wants us to enjoy ourselves and have enjoyable lives Hashem made a world so that we can enjoy life in this world but the Torah is definitely giving us a bigger picture and it's important for everyone to remember this because so many people who are already further on in life and struggling and suffering and, that, and it's important for us to remind ourselves one second I didn't come here to just enjoy so as much as I'm going to try to find ways to have an easier life for whatever reasons, for the good reasons, to be able to serve Hashem even better, um, I do have to remember that at the end of the day, the, the bigger purpose here is this, and if I have this, then that's the main thing. So it's not a question that this always has to be, you know, the 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 main goal, the main objective is how do I get closer to what Hashem wants from me? With that said, of course, the best of it, and, and, and Hashem wants all this, Hashem wants, I keep on saying this, Hashem wants us to do it in the best possible way. And that's the best way to do it, the best way to accomplish it, the best way to get to it. But we have to remember that it's all part of the equation, or the main part of the equation, I should say. And if not for that, then of course you're going to get a different, a different perspective. So if part of what you're saying is a secular advice will tell you to run, and your rabbis are telling you to go for it, if part of the reason why you're getting these different perspectives is because secular advice is only taking certain things into account, what they feel is important, and your rabbis are taking different things into account, that's already, that's already giving us a lot of clarity about how to decide such a thing. Now, Back even deeper into the question itself, talking about relationships. I mean, you mentioned that it's not only infatuation, there's more to it. Okay, now, now again, I, I don't know. I, I don't know too many details over here. Um, generally speaking, infatuation is um, being completely carried away by some unreasonable attraction, which usually happens in the beginning of a relationship. Um, and very often it, it dies down and wears off sometimes faster, sometimes slower, and, some, and sometimes people gravitate towards something that's totally unreasonable and just um, some emotionally drugging feeling, which obviously is, is, is usually just blinding of anything else. Then there's something called attraction. Hashem made attraction. Hashem made that male and female should be attracted to each other for a purpose. There's attraction. Um, Chazal teaches about this. Chazal teaches that you can't marry somebody without first seeing them to see if you're attracted to them. Now, of course, there's different ways to do that and different levels of attraction and different levels of repulsion and how much somebody's repulsed by someone else and they can't live with someone else, how much they could handle it, they could tolerate it. I'm not going to go into the details of it. The point is just that when there's attraction, attraction is healthy. And when there's no attraction, that's when Chazal were afraid, Shemit Hazgana Olav. And you'll marry someone and you didn't realize that this person is, you'll be repulsed by that person and it's going to cause you to be over, interestingly, that's, that's what Chazal teach us. We're afraid that you're going to live with somebody who's very hard for you to like, and you're not going to be mekayim, the mitzvah of a haftanach kamoicha. It doesn't say that we're afraid you're going to get bruised, or that you're going to get divorced. It says that we're afraid that you won't be able to love your fellow Jew. Interestingly, okay, a discussion of its own. My point is just that attraction is, is a healthy thing. And when somebody says, well, I feel that I'm just doing it because I'm attracted, maybe it's not the right thing to do. Attraction is healthy. Attraction is not only healthy when it comes to doing a shidduch, which people have to take seriously. Uh, another discussion of its own, why sometimes parents don't take seriously enough, or how, how seriously they just take it. I've once mentioned that in Torah anytime there's a, there's a, a, a class by Rabbi David Levi, big memcha, and it's Israel, who talks about, um, even in circles, the way, you know, a chosin kala meet once or twice, 
what is it that you're looking for in that meeting? And he, he talks about not being repulsed by somebody and being somewhat attracted and sad to hear people say that from, from the first minute I saw this not for me, but I didn't have a choice. Again, I don't want to go into the detail. My point is just that attraction is a healthy thing that Hashem put in there. And sometimes husband and wives that are going through difficulties, they forget that there's attraction and they should be focusing on the attraction that they do have for whatever reasons. There's something about your wife that pulls you, think about it, focus on it, because Hashem put it there for a reason. So that's not, uh, that's not either a problem, it's not imaginary, it's not uh, fake, it's not blinding, it's, it's real and it's there for a reason. If people wouldn't be attracted to each other, then any fallout or any difficulty would, would totally dissolve anything because there's nothing to come back to. There's, there's another... Then, then that's, when it start, that's when the discussion of relationship starts. When you're attracted to someone, there's a reason why you're with them, for whatever reason. Or if Hashem set you up that way and you're already with someone, let me just add that, not a question... Then relationship starts. What does relationship mean? Of course relationship in the coloring book means where two people are just always enjoying each other's company and working along like, like two halves of a whole and gewaldic. It doesn't work like that in real life. Some relationships are easier, some are harder. Some are high maintenance, some are low maintenance. But very many relationships need, need a lot of work and it's not a question. Most often, most often, relationships probably need more work than people think originally. Let me put it that way. I'm not going to say that all are challenging, all need a lot of work, but most often they need more. I was talking to somebody, a uh, Ruv, intelligent person, who told me that before his children got married, each and every one of them. He called them in two, three days before the chasna, and he told them, he already married, I think, most of his children, if not all. He said, hey, I want to tell you something. I hate to break it to you, but you're going to be very disappointed. And obviously, his son, daughter, Chusin Kalu, whoever, a few days before the chasna, opens eyes and, you know, well, what's this? You're going to be disappointed. You know, we tried, whatever we could, find the best shit, but I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. And of course, he slowly eases them, eases them into understanding what he really means, and that is that most often, a Chosen Kala have a dream in their mind. That dream, that vision, that uh, whatever it is, is most often um, something unreasonable and unrealistic. It's a dream. That's what dreams are about. Now, I hope you have the best dreams in your mind, you're most optimistic, and you're, and you're aspiring for the Mamish Ganeiden in this world. But most often, people are disappointed. Because the dream is not, is not a real-life dream. In your dreams, you don't see the difficulties and the pitfalls and the shortcomings and the aggravations. You, you just don't see that in your dreams. So I'm telling you, they're all going to come. And you'll be disappointed. And that's the best shidduch that you could do. We, we, we look for the best, with the least amount of disappointment. Um, just, just be reasonable and go into this knowing that it could be a little harder than you dreamt. Uh, my, my point is just that relationships often take a lot of work and it, it's very important to understand that. So if anyone's going into a marriage thinking it's going to be bliss, they're just fooling themselves, not a question. But even if somebody does go into a marriage with this introduction knowing that it's not bliss, it's going to be disappointing, okay, I'll find out what it is. It's a little unsettling, I think, because you wait for the second shoe to drop and you don't know when it's going to happen, right? You don't know what it's going to take of you. We'll have to be tolerant of some limitations, we'll have to be, we'll have to be flexible in certain areas that I wasn't prepared for. You don't know where it's coming. In your case, and very often this is how it is before Shidduch, when people know certain things in advance, I think you know what the challenges are. Once you know what they are, it's a whole different story. In other words, you're going into a marriage knowing... A, that relationships could be challenging, and B, I think I know what the challenges are. Now, there might be a lot more that you don't know about, by the way. But the fact that you do know what some of them are is not a reason necessarily to turn away from a relationship because, oh, these have these challenges. Every relationship has some, and you don't know what the others are. Now, if somebody feels that something is too much for him and they really don't think they could do it, obviously it has to be discussed. My point is not to jump into something just because you know what the challenges are. My point is that sometimes knowing what they are is not a reason to turn away from them. It's a reason to see them, and assess them, and accept them, and work on it. Because that's what, that's what might happen in any relationship. To go into a relationship assuming that these challenges are not there, again, if you're 
18 and a half, and this is the first shidduch someone suggested, then yeah, you might figure to try something else that doesn't have the obvious and the well-known ones. But by the time you're a little older, and by the time you try different things, obviously, knowing, knowing about a certain difficulty is not necessarily a reason to walk away from it. Um, I just, it's coming to mind a, a situation that I had with somebody, also for, for different reasons, different details, in his specific situation where he knew he had to settle somewhat on a shidduch, and the question was what to settle on. Right? He was being, he was being suggested different shidduchim that were, you know, each of them had their own set of challenges, and one shidduch came up, and it looked reasonable, and it came with a set of challenges. And he came to discuss this with me. And I, I, to, I, I think I mentioned this in the past. I told him exactly what they are. I said, based on what you're telling me, these are the challenges you'll have to contend with. These are the things you might have to do. These are the things you might have to take into consideration. I'm telling you the way it is. I don't want to make it sound like better than it is, worse than it is. This is what it is. You, you might very well um, see this coming and have to deal with it this way and work it out like that and it might take this amount of time. Very, very clear. I said, I can't help you make a decision, but I can tell you what they are. And he thought about it and he made a very responsible and mature decision to go ahead with it, knowing that there will be these, these challenges. And I don't know if it's Chochem Udaf Minovi, but exactly the way I told it to him, was the way it happened in real life. And he never regretted it. That's what he signed up for. That's what he signed up for. And I was very impressed, both with his initial decision and, and, and that he followed through with what he knew he would be dealing with. If somebody would tell you about a physical handicap, you can marry somebody who um, has a problem walking and needs someone to help them. And somebody decides, you know what, it's not gishmak, but I think I could do it. I'll walk with them. And you make that decision based on whatever it is that you feel it's reasonable to go into that. If you get frustrated later on in life, I have to hold them a whole time. That's what you signed up for. And that's the challenge of this relationship versus a different challenge that you don't even know about. My point is that, yes, relationships are somewhat challenging. And if you sign up for something, you know what you're going in for. Now, the problem is that sometimes people will sign up for difficulty thinking that they're going to work with it, but they don't know how to work with it. They don't want to know how to work with it. They don't learn how to work with it. They keep on trying the same thing. That's what insanity is, right? Insanity is trying the same thing, expecting different results. Even in your letter alone, you mention um, different situations or scenarios that happened and you're not happy about the way they played themselves out. It sounds like the same thing happened quite a few times. So some people see the same thing happen a few times and say, whoa, this is a problem. This is a problem. Every time I wake up late, my wife screams, this is a problem. And the next guy says, oh, I have the pattern. When I wake up late, she screams. I can get up early if I want to. It's interesting, when I wake up early, she doesn't scream. Now, I'm not justifying anyone who screams when the spouse gets up late. My point is just that sometimes people are repeating patterns that they know will bring certain results, and, and they're just saying, whoa, with these kind of results, I can't get into this. Part of working on a problem and accepting a challenge is learning the patterns and figuring out what it does or doesn't take, and then signing up, and then acknowledging, yes, I realize that when I do this, this will happen. When I do that, it won't happen. This is not so easy for me. It's not so natural for me, but I could do it. If you could, if you can't not. But learning those patterns generally gives people a lot of direction. Now again, like I said, if somebody knows that they can't, and they tried, and they've been in this in the past, and it's not working, you know, to fool yourself and fool everyone else and try something again, that's, that's repeating the same bad pattern, trying to overcome certain things that you, that you don't feel you really could. But if it's just figuring out how to do something better, often you could. So your question was, does love conquer all? No, love does not conquer all. No, obviously, not. love doesn't conquer all, it doesn't take away all the challenges. But it's what to start with to know if you want to now work on the challenges and, and take care of that. So I do just want to, I want to end off with, with a few details that you mentioned. Be, you know, and I think so much of what I said is relevant to so many people that are already married. It's not only about making a, shidduch, a decision about a shidduch. So many people already married have to know how to work out problems and avoid the difficult 
patterns and to know how to be attracted one to another and all that. Uh, not a question. A few details just. You mentioned the age gap. Uh, without going into detail about how big the age gap is, um, as well as a, a certain background differences, although you both came from similar modern Orthodox homes, let's call it. Um, most often, these kind of differences are not as significant and, and uh, what's the word? And don't have as much effect as people think. Now, obviously, when there's a problem, that's what people say. Oh, look, you notice the age gap, right? Obviously. Obviously. You notice the age gap. It's like, it's like the theory that when, without going into the, how true or not it is, when somebody yawns, uh, people in the room will often yawn as well. That's because when you yawn and somebody else yawns, it's so, oh yeah, so interesting, ironic. No, I yawned and he yawned. Why? We're both the same tired? You don't realize how many times you yawn, nobody yawns. Nobody yawns along with you. You only notice certain things when, when it becomes noticeable. So if somebody doesn't have shown bias and there's an age gap, of course everyone say, well, for starters, they're 12 years apart. Okay? So, okay. so that becomes the given. You know, for starters, um, he's European and she's, okay, so now it makes sense. Nobody realizes how many times this is not an issue at all. That when people would come in and ask about a shidduch, if age gap is an, is an issue, and again, uh, not the age gap, if it's, a, if it's a problem when a woman is, when the kala is older than the chusn, the woman is older than the, the wife is older than the husband, he used to call the rebbetzin and ask, um, they want to know if, if the kala being older than the, the chusn is a problem. Because she's older than me, so ask her if we ever had a problem because of it. And his point was that, no, Baksham, they lived very happily together. So most often, it's a lot more about tolerance and flexibility and, and working on yourself, and much less about these, dif- these differences. These differences. So I, I, that's usually not what it is. Another thing you asked about going for sessions and consultations solo, is it going to help? Of course it helps. I have a lot to say about it, but I'll be brief. Marriage is teamwork. Being happily married means you're working together to be happily married. When there's a problem, however, and people assume that we have to deal with the problem as teamwork and go to someone together for help, it's often a big mistake. Working on something, the person who's willing to put in the work, that's the person that can solve the problem. Even, even if they didn't cause it. If you go as teamwork to solve a problem, very often it becomes, well, I'll do this, if you do that, hey, you're not doing yours, I'm not doing mine. And it just gets a, it turns to a bigger problem. So going to someone to learn how to deal with difficulties on your own is a wonderful thing, and if, if that's something that you find helpful, is beautiful. So back to another point that you mentioned about your rabbis, like I said, trusting Das Torah is wonderful, regardless of uh, if your Das Torah can never make a mistake or not. And I'll just end off again. Don't, don't ever look back and regret don't look back and regret. Well, obviously, if you don't get married uh, to this person, you can regret it because you can still get married. So that's something you might want to do. And not live with regrets, but, but if you do get married, or if you are married by the time I addressed your question, don't look back and regret. It's never helpful to say, oh, I shouldn't have. And it's usually, it's usually inaccurate. It's not, that I, it's not that I shouldn't have. It's that it's difficult and it's challenging. And looking back, obviously, if I would have made a different decision way back when, which Hashem orchestrated something without going into uh, how much we understand about how much free will could change that um, this is what I'm holding now let me deal with it the fact that you could have made a different decision which always makes you feel like so I could hold on to, the, to my, my doubts like I mentioned before and, and feel like, like it's not really for me and that's why maybe I'm absolved of putting in work into this because it's not really for me uh, it never makes anyone never makes anyone happy in general most of us notice other people's faults and do not notice enough their qualities, because we take it for a given. And most of us who notice in people that we're close to, certain deficiencies are not realizing how, even if we would have made a different decision at one point, as if that was a possibility, we, w- we might not be having certain things we have now, that we wouldn't have then. And so many people make that mistake. You have quality A, B, C, 
and you have challenge X, Y, Z. Avoiding this wouldn't necessarily mean that you have all the qualities. It doesn't work like that in real life. So, you know, with that, that sometimes helps us just with a healthy perspective to put in the right work. So, I just want to end off with this small summary of um, understanding that it's normal to be insecure and uncertain, especially when it comes to big decisions, um, and knowing how to rely on an objective uh, opinion, the Astoria opinion, even when it's not 100% certain. Understanding for sure that the secular um, idea and perspective is different than the Torah one because we have different things in mind, what we're looking to accomplish. Knowing that relationships, once they're built on some kind of attraction, uh, one to another, could use a lot of work. When you know what that work is, you decide if you want to sign up for it, and very often that's the right thing to do, even if a lot of work will be on you. And, you know, all the other details that you mentioned and the ones that I don't know about, you should definitely try to discuss with somebody who could give you clarity and trust it and trust in Hashem and ask Hashem to give us all the strength that we need to do the right thing. And like we started off with, with Yosef HaTzadik and you know, the, the idea of the Ishbitz that we should always try to see what we could do to make ourselves uh, easier to tolerate and make ourselves more tolerant of other people's uh, difficulties and things like that. And with Hashem's help, we'll all be able to live together. Baha'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a